y dos, y dos, una, y dos, y dos. Hello and welcome to Cortez NYC Livestream, the podcast. This show broadcasts twice a week out of New York City. We are your hosts, Cortez NYC and Carla de Puerto Rico. And on the show, we talk about art, creativity, city life from a Latino perspective. I'm a visual artist and I'm a singer. And this is episode 42, Bilingual. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify, and also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. And don't forget, I have an online store, cortezNYC.bigcartel.com. On there, you can find graffiti pins, stickers, posters, and original art. Uh, log on and check out my stuff and a uh, special shout out to all our people on instagram all our people listening to us around the world thank you for the support and let's get this going all right bilinguals bilingual we are, we are bilinguals so we are bilingual. We're on episode 42. If you guys are listening still to this podcast and you've been listening to us all this time, then by episode 42, you guys are probably bilingual as well. You'll, you'll learn later in this episode how you are all bilingual and don't even realize it. Yeah. Um, by the end of this episode, you shall learn that you are also bilingual, all of you listening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this portion, the art life portion... We are going to discuss foreign language, meaning outside of English language, uh, art terms that you guys probably don't even realize that you're using and that they are foreign language words. Exactly. I mean, just opening this conversation, we learned that artists should be bilingual because you're going to learn more about art mm-hmm. and different types of art and different types of culture by being bilingual. Exactly. It depends um, where you're coming from and where you're from. But at the end of the day, if you learn different languages, you can learn more terms and your artistic view can be open. And, and if you're going to learn anything about art history, mm-hmm. you're going to eventually understand something about Greek culture and there's going to be Greek terminology or, yeah. or Greek concepts. That are going to have some Greek words, some Greek artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go into Egyptian art, mm-hmm. if you go into prehistoric art, if you go into Italian art, French yeah. art, German art, you know, it's all going to be a progression and a con- con- constant building one on top of the other, on top of the other of, of information that as an artist now, where, wherever you are in the world listening to us, you're going to have acquired information that is built upon different cultures yeah if you were an artist and you didn't accept being bilingual you you would be closing yourself off to a lot of information a lot of knowledge um so yeah so let's start with this topic i am going to go through a bunch of phrases in foreign languages foreign to me because it's not it's not neither spanish or or english mm-hmm. so i'm gonna i'm gonna start with some french ones let's let's begin with french terms that you should probably know and the first one that i have on my list is avant-garde oh see avant-garde you ever use that phrase no but i've i've heard it what do you think avant-garde means to be in style to be 
like your style is unique. Okay. Um, yeah, avant-garde. When people say something's avant-garde, they usually refer to movies sometimes. Fashion, for Fashion, sure. Fashion, avant-garde. And they usually mean that it is something that is cutting edge. It is out of the regular that's, society's That's norms. what I was trying to say, like yeah. out of the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so avant-garde literally means advanced guard oh. or vanguard. Okay. Um, avant, advanced guard. And it's originally a militaristic phrase. Um, it describes the specialized soldiers whose job it was to survey the land and seek out the enemy before the arrival of other troops. So they were kind of like scouts. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what the avant-garde was. And that's where the phrase comes from. Um, I think it's a phrase that I I kind of knew it was from somewhere else, but I didn't really pay too much attention to From where? From where. Mm-hmm. And now it makes sense. Avant-garde. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure I'm saying it all wrong. I'm sure there's a French person <laughs> out there. Avant-garde. Yeah, I'm sure a French person is like, is, this is not avant-garde. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So that's one. Uh, another one is... Ouvre. 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 I'm messing that one up for sure. Ouvre. Or ouvre. It's O-E-U-V-R-E. O-E-U-V-R-E. Ouvre. Um, and what they mean by that is work. Mm. Over. So, so it... Oh, that sounds very similar like to obra or obrar. Obra, como obra. Como obra. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, como, como tus obras, tus trabajos. Yeah. Right. So, obra is a French term that means your body of work. Um, you know, your, okay. the, the artist's work. Yeah. And they're actually saying that obra, obra is uh, also a French term that is used in hors d'oeuvres. The word hors d'oeuvre. Yeah, I don't know that I, word. I'm pronouncing it all wrong, I'm sure. <laughs> but the word obra uh-huh. is in or d'oeuvre d'oeuvre oh, yeah yeah and it's part of that and hors d'oeuvres okay. is another word for appetizer oh okay what does appetizers has to do with that hors d'oeuvres literally translates into outside the work meaning outside of the main oh, main the course main dish, of the meal. main course yeah uh pues bien so anyway, <laughs> over means work, and it is a term that is used in, in art talk. Yeah. Another one that is, I think, used a lot, and I, I've come across it so many times, is in plein air. In plein air? Yeah, in plein air. Plein air, P-L-E-I-N, and then A-I-R, plein air. En plein air. Plein air is another term used for let's say outside landscapes plain air it literally means like plain air like outside in the mm-hmm. open air yeah um and I, it's a phrase it's an expression that's used all the time uh, if, if you're talking about oil painting out in nature mm-hmm. you're talking about plain air painting oh but, but you know in english you would say plain air exactly like plain air yeah uh-huh. but but it's actually plain air plain and where it, came, it comes it's from? French. For French? Yeah. Okay. I'm, right now, I'm, I'm going through a bunch of French ones. Okay, okay. But yeah, plein air is another big one. I, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of French ones that we all know because, you know, exactly. they, they kind of... if I don't yeah, know if the they masters. produced it or po- they maybe they popularized all Exactly, this, you know? yeah. Um, another one is catalog 
Raisonné. Catalog Raisonné. Raisonné. Reasoned catalog. And what it is, is it's a catalog of every work made by an artist. So when you're looking at, at an artist's catalog over the entire body of, of work, of, of their work, you would say it's their catalog raisonné. Mm. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, another one is vernissage. 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 Yeah, it's Vern and then Isage. Isage. Vernissage. Vernissage. Okay. So vernissage is actually varnishing. And what a vernissage is, and this is a French term, is mm -hmm. it started as the day before an opening, an art opening. Yeah. They would varnish all the paintings. Oh. So it was like a... a You would you before you would hang up the art exhibit, you would varnish it just to give it a new coat, a fresh coat of like clean, you know, varnish, so it would mm -hmm. be presentable. And on that day, people would get an opportunity to see the art before anybody else. So it was like a pre-show oh, okay. to the art opening. So eventually, vernissage is a private invitation-only event that allows people collectors mm -hmm. to see your pieces before anybody else and that's, they call that the vernissage that's interesting so the vernissage is literally the varnishing or the varnishing day mm -hmm. but the vernissage but now, now it's, it's used as an art term to mean the day before an opening a private showing of the work vernissage wow. uh mise-en-scene mise-en-scene is a term that i came across a long time ago and it stayed in my head mise-en-scene mise-en-scene is placing on stage Mm. And mise-en-scene is mostly used in cinema, but also in plays and also in photography. And what it is, it's the composition of your image, of everything within the image. Mise-en-scene is everything that is within the picture frame. Mm -hmm. um, from the chairs, to the wardrobe, to the lighting, yeah. to whatever, like everything, where the actors are, that's the mise-en-scene. It creates the scene, mise-en-scene. Um, and that's all I have for French. Did you learn something? I did. <laughs> um, I mean, a lot of words. I think I've heard like of one or two that they sound familiar. Okay. But everything else, it was new. Okay. Me, I mean, so. genre is another one that we I keep bringing up. Right. Genre. Genre. Genre mm -hmm. is a French word. Genre. And that's why it's so difficult for me to pronounce. Genre. But genre <laughs> is is uh you know a type of right a type yeah, of art. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's move into the Italian terms. Italian, let's go Italy. Italy. So Italian terms, um, art terms that you should know. Let's start with. Yes. Contraposto. 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 You're probably not even gonna know what that is, and you're probably. I know. You're probably gonna think that has to do with pasta or something, but it's not. No. Contraposto. Contraposto is uh, is um. Is is uh, having a position against the original position. Okay, almost. Close. Yeah, yeah. But como contrapostura, like. So contraposto is counterpose. Counterpose. It's uh -huh. the twisting, the twisting of the body. Mm. Um, it's something that started in sculpture, where mm. you lean. Let's say if you're if a, if a character. So in Egyptian times, 
and and you know the, the early art forms, you would render the the person, the figure, straight on, right. and they and they would be totally balanced straight. Mm -hmm. um, their hips and their shoulders would be going along the horizon line, flat. Uh, with my, it started with Michelangelo, uh -huh. uh, with his figure, the David, mm -hmm. famous sculpture, the David. That's that's where Contraposto kind of came to life where he took uh, a figure and he gave it that leaning pose yeah kind of like a relaxed pose mm -hmm. where your body is shifting your your at the body weight and that contraposto became an art term forever after that so after that art the, the representation of the human body didn't have to be straight on it could be relaxed it could be off balance and from there on we went into uh you know people completely laying down and leaning over and yeah. all kinds of stuff and, and more like natural poses um okay the next term fresco fresco is a term of, uh an italian term also for fresh and it's a wet on wet technique for painting mm -hmm. um sometimes we say we call frescoes um murals like old murals we call them frescoes but what they what it really means is the technique that was used back then which was a wet on wet technique um, for mixing and blending colors easily on the wall while it was still wet before it would dry um this was back then when we, they didn't have oil paint mm -hmm. so they they were excited to be able to try to blend colors and the only way to blend them was to blend them wet on wet later on when once they made they developed oil paint they could blend and it wouldn't dry right away and they could blend for hours and hours and you could keep blending. So that was that was a revolution for that. Another one, Italian, chiaroscuro. Chiaroscuro is another one that stayed in my head. A lot of these I really carried in my, in my vocabulary. Yeah. Um, so if you're an artist out there, I'm sure you know these terms and if you don't, you should. <laughs> chiaroscuro is translated into light, dark. Chiaroscuro, light, dark. Chiaroscuro. So chiaroscuro is a, an art term for painting the light out of the dark. And it's a technique whenever you paint from dark to light, if you, if you lay down all dark colors and then you start cutting away at the dark colors with light colors, mm -hmm. that's chiaroscuro technique, which is that you're bringing light out of the dark yeah. and you're balancing that. Um, which I do that in spray paint. And, I, and that's a technique that I think stayed with me, that mentality of painting outside of bringing out of the dark um and another one another italian one is sfumato 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 is to evaporate like smoke sfumato mm -hmm. what it what it is is um especially on the mona lisa you could see this that's a famous technique off the mona lisa it sfumato is the softening of the edges um leonardo da vinci kind of started that on his piece where he softened the edges he didn't let the edges be hard-edged and also a little bit on the on the face and by giving it a little bit of a smoky feel on the edges a sfumato mm -hmm. he softened it and made it a little more lifelike because your eyes get drawn to the focus which is her smile and her eyes right and and people didn't do that back then before him they didn't really do that technique formally you know everything was crystal clear and sharp all around the entire piece so that was the first time that somebody kind of like used that technique um, to trick the eye. So another one is impasto. 
Impasto. Impasto. Sounds delicious, right? Impasto. Sounds like salsa pesto. Yeah. Contrapasto and impasto. <laughs> so, impasto. Impasto means in paste. En pasta. Exactly. Impasto, in paste. And impasto is a technique of oil painting. It could be acrylic painting too, but it mostly started with oil painting where you use the palette knife and you lay down thick thick swatches of, of paint mm -hmm. like a paste like you're pasting on yeah you know your, your strokes and you're doing it with the palette knife nowadays mostly with the palette knife back in the day you could use it probably with a brush or whatever but the whole point of it is that you're laying down the paint really thick like a paste, like a paste. and that's impasto 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 and another one another italian one is non finito non finito i know that one what does non finito mean it's not finished ah how do you know that because finito is finished okay so non finito is not finished and it's an art term that applies to some pieces that are on a lot of pieces a lot of art histories unfinished yeah. you'll, you'll see some uh, a lot of pieces that say unfinished yeah in the title Mm -hmm. and uh, or in the description and what it what it is is that eventually it became a way of describing art because so many pieces were left unfinished mm -hmm. over the centuries that people realized wait that's a technique also that's something that we have to describe right um, and eventually artists even use that as a style where they would only do portions of pieces portions of figures and purposely leave things leave unfinished mm -hmm. so that's non finito non finito all right now let's move on to some german art terms wow german yeah uh oh this is gonna be complicated yeah this is i'm gonna try i'm gonna just go through a couple of them okay okay go ahead. Uh, i'm not gonna go through all of them because it's, some of these i'm not even gonna get um an interesting one was wunderkammer 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 <laughs> wunderkammer is um wonder curiosity and chamber cabinet cabinet so the curiosity cabinet And it's a style of um, art where people would paint still lives of their closets, basically, their cabinets mm -hmm. and all their collectibles. So imagine a, a cabinet full of collectibles of all your little tchotchkes and little mm -hmm. trinkets that you've saved, you know, from all around the world, all different events, all the whatever. And you put it in a painting and you paint them. That's funny. Yeah. So that's a, wun a wunder wunderkammer. <laughs> Wunderkammer. Okay, that's it. Wonder cabinet. Um, another one is gestalt. 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 It means form. Gestalt means form. I've never used it, but I could imagine gesture. Gestalt could come from that. Um, but gestalt. Gestalt means form, and um, it's basically the form of things in... You know, in the way that we see form in art mm -hmm. is gestalt. Um, unfulung. What? Unfulung means unfulung. Unfulung means empathy. I, I think it's unfulung. Unfulung. Eso sonó asiático. Well, they say that it's not easy to translate, but that it means feeling into or in feeling. Okay. Okay. Um, and engram. Mm -hmm. Engram 
is uh, translated to mean um, how memories form in the brain is engram. Engram, like almost ingrained in your head. Mm -hmm. Engram. And I think that's it. I can't do any more, Carla. <laughs> you I, did great. You did great. I tried. I tried. So Good those, job. those are some of the art terms you guys should know. I'm sure there's many more. If you guys think of any, uh, just post, po post it on our comments on Instagram, all right? Cortez NYC live stream. And uh, all you guys keep learning other languages. <laughs> Culture talk. Culture talk. Yes, ma'am. What do you have for us, this culture talk? Well, uh, this culture talk, I wanted to go over the different types of bilinguals there are. What does that mean? Like French, Italian, Spanish? No. So there's different ways we learn to be bilingual um, because there's different ways we learn a second language. And they have there has been studies and research on this topic and we found interesting information regarding types of bilinguals so so it's when you say types of bilinguals you mean how you became a bilingual how you became a bilingual that is interesting yeah because yeah. so, we, we always say like oh we're just bilingual exactly like, we're bilingual because because god made us bilingual because exactly because oh well it happened oh well yeah i was yeah. so blessed yeah. um but there's actually there has been a lot of studies and a lot of uh, research in this topic because besides of what we're going to talk on these episodes there have been um other types of bilingual it's not only the way you learn but maybe how much did you learn Um, there's bilinguals that they know a little bit, there's bilingual that they know a lot, but just uh, the fact that you know another language makes you bilingual. So it's, it's measured um, on how, on um, how did you learn, how much did you learn, and the reason also for you to learn. Very interesting. All right, let's uh, go So the types of bilingual that I have, the first one is compound bilingual. And compound this bilingual. Compound bilingual. And this one is described as both parents are bilingual, meaning they speak to the child the two languages at the same time. Right. So they don't discriminate between the two languages, they just constantly mixing them, talking to them the both languages all the time. All the time. Blended together without even thinking about it. Exactly. Both parents. Yes. And that is called a Compound, compound bilingual, bilingual. and wow. it's compound because well basically the child is getting a compound uh language experience right right both at the same time because That's it's both at the same time okay um and on a more academic definition it says uh that the child is developing two linguistic codes simultaneously with a single set of concepts. So because they're learning both languages at the same time, they just have one concept, what they're living, right? And they have two languages. And between those two, they select whatever they feel to call an item or to call an experience or whatever else, right? Very interesting. Yeah. Uh, the second type is coordinate bilingual. Coordinate bilingual. Coordinate bilingual. What does that mean? 
And this one, it says that is a separate linguistic system. The child will work with two sets of concepts. Uh, for example, this is when a child learn English in school, but then when they go home, they speak Spanish or whatever other language they speak. Wow. So they are learning one language in, a, in, a, in one concept because they're learning the concept of school, of going to school to learn English, right? And then they come home to keep speaking Spanish, for example, Spanish, right? Right. Um, and they and they're learning learning on the concept of family. Right. So family means, family equals Spanish. School equals English. English. That's incredible. That's I, I, I never thought of it like that. And I was about to... I was about to say, oh, yeah, I'm part of compound. And yeah. now I'm like, no, wait, I think I'm part of coordinate. Yeah, at the end, we're going we're gonna to talk about which, yeah. in which one we think we fit in. We right? fit in. But, but that, so that's interesting, coordinate. So I know that that's a very common story where mm -hmm. people tell me I only speak English outside growing exactly. up. And then when I went home, I only spoke Spanish. Other people tell me. I've heard, you know, oh, I, I spoke I spoke English always in my house, but then when I went to my grandmother's house, I only spoke Spanish, or I only spoke uh, English maybe um, in school, and then at home, you know, I would speak uh, Spanish with my with my siblings. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think it happens a lot with immigrants' families. Yeah. Uh, with, but. I mean, I want to go over this uh, when we finish discussing the types. So we'll talk about it. All right, all right, okay. So the last type that I have on my list, remember, there's more out there. We're just going through something we found, you know? Uh, the last type is subordinate bilingual. What does that mean, subordinate? So it means that it learned a secondary language by filtering it through the primary language. Ah. So, for so, example, yeah, now on. that we have all three types. So the first generation of immigrants, the ones that they just came from their country and they come, let's say, to the United States and they have to learn English, but they didn't know English before, they're going to be subordinate because they're going to try to learn English through their primary language. Got it. And they're going to try to compare concepts that they know with concepts that they're learning in the new country. Which subordinate, that sounds like a lot. It would be very common with people who are learning another language later in life. Later, exactly. If, you've, if you're learning it once you've already established, fully established yourself in one language. In one language. Then no matter what you do, you are going to be filtering your second language or third language through, through your primary your language. Primary language. Exactly. That's exactly, that exactly. Sense. So, so, so when people, says, mm -hmm. people tell you carro, yeah. and you have to think first, yeah. oh, carro means car. Yeah. Car, got it. So car. Like, exactly. Or if you want to say water, and you're thinking, your brain is going to think water first, mm -hmm. and then you're going to process it and say water equals agua. Okay, say agua now. Yeah. Okay, agua. Yeah. So there's going to be a little delay because you're going to be thinking first to translate it through your primary language. Mm -hmm. I got you. Yeah. And that's that's what happens with the subordinate type. Um, the study says that it's for like a late uh, learner. Oh, okay. 
All right. So for older learners of a second language. That makes sense. And then if you if we continue to see the examples, right? So we can say then that the coordinate bilingual is going to be the first generation of immigrant parents because they are going to be the ones that are going to learn English in school but their primary language is going to be whatever their parents' language is. And then if we go into compound bilingual and see the example in real life, it's going to be the child or the children of the first generation that was born in the United States. Mm. Do you understand? Yeah, kind of. Because the compound bilingual has uh, two parents that speak both languages. So if we see the example in real life, will be uh, the, the children of the first generation being born in the United States. Is what? Are going to be the compound bilingual. Because they're going to have the parents that are, are going to be speaking both languages. Got you. Yeah, so the kids of bilingual parents will become the compound. Yeah, yeah. So you'll have first the, the subordinate bilinguals because you're learning. Those will be the grandparents. Correct. The subordinate bilinguals are going to be the ones that are going to have learned of the, the foreign language. In this case, it would be English as yeah. the foreign language. Yeah. They're going to be learning that through their Spanish. Yeah. Then their kids will become the coordinate bilinguals because they're going to be learning Spanish at home, mostly, yeah. and then English mostly in school. in school. And then their kids will be the compound, compound because their parents will be bilingual, fully bilingual. Exactly. And then they're going to be speaking both languages at the same time and learning both languages at the same time. Yes. And not seeing a difference between one and the other. Yes. And then the kids after that are going to be... Oh, we don't even know. They're more compound. Or... More, more English. Monolingual. Monolingual because they're going to be like, I don't want to speak I don't want to teach them Spanish. Exactly. Um, but then now thinking about our experience as bilinguals, I don't really know where to see myself. I think... I'm a coordinate bilingual just because I learned English in school and I continued to my first language is Spanish has always been Spanish and it was Spanish before and now my first language is English but I learned English in school I think you're confused you're a confused bilingual I am a confused bilingual no I think I don't know where I, to it's hard. categorize it, myself no it's hard to pinpoint it I was gonna say also when we were just talking i was like well uh my mother spoke to me only in spanish mm -hmm. always only spoke to me in spanish mm -hmm. um so for sure in my early years in my tiny little infant years i was only speaking spanish mm -hmm. and learning spanish and learning to speak in spanish i'm sure my first words were in spanish yeah there's no reason why my first words would have been in english yeah with a mother who's only speaking to me in spanish. spanish it makes it would make no sense yeah so i'm sure my first language was was spanish But then my father had learned English back in Colombia. Mm -hmm. And it's because of him that we, he opened the doors for us to come to the United States. Yeah. Because my mother wouldn't have done it. Yeah. You know, on her own, she would have never, because she didn't speak English. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the only reason she took the chance to come to the United States is because he was speaking English. 
and he learned English over there. So my, my father became, I guess, a, a subordinate, subordinate bilingual. Mm -hmm. And then what he did in our home is that he would only speak to me in English. So my mother would only speak to me in Spanish and my father would only speak to me in English. And growing up, that became so normal that even to this day, I speak to my, even to this day, <laughs> grown ass, old ass man, speaking both languages, all of us, except my mother, my mother only speaks Spanish. But I speak to my mother in Spanish and I speak to my father in English. And if I start to speak to my father in Spanish, we can do it for a little while, but then it gets a little weird and I'll go back to English. And I don't know, for him, it doesn't feel weird because you would think that he would be like, why don't we speak in Spanish? I'm more comfortable in Spanish. And he's not. Yeah. It's like he's more comfortable speaking to me in English. Yeah. That's really strange. Being that he is from Colombia, a Spanish yeah, speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he feels more comfortable speaking to me in English. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a weird, unique it's a very, situation. It's an I mean, unusual situation. It's unusual, yeah. I don't know if that's co coordinate, subordinate, <laughs> compound. But I know that when I went to school, I spoke English. When I came home, I would mostly see my mother and speak in Spanish. And if I saw my father, we would speak in English. And that's just the way life was. And to this day, in my in my work environments, mm -hmm. I speak mostly English. And I and if I speak a little bit of Spanish, it's it's unusual, hmm. you know. And and it's it's a little odd for me. It's a little weird for me to speak in Spanish. Yeah. You know, I'll do it, but it it's not my my go-to thing because I associate work and I associate school and I associate all that with English so you know I mean I consider myself pretty bilingual I can read and write both languages but certain portions of my bilingualism is locked into what we can consider coordinate or compound yeah yeah and yeah. some parts of my language is also subordinate Yeah, because exactly. some parts I do have to think and say, oh, shit, I was thinking in one language. Right. Yeah. What about you? Well, in my case, I I feel like I am a coordinate. I'm not compound at all. I'm a coordinate and a subordinate bilingual. Coordinate because I did learn English in school and... Wait. watching tv and stuff like that but 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 i didn't have anybody in my household talking to me in english or i didn't really spoke with anybody else like that a full conversation in english growing up no it's true that us in puerto rico we have some words in english that already part of our vocabulary but because we don't say it with the with the correct ac accent i'm not speaking english you are though yeah but i'm not if i'm not aware of it okay so and then i feel like i'm subordinate because once i came to united states right to live in the states i feel like i was trying to relate what i knew in spanish to what I know in, in English. I, the, the, only thing I, the only thing that I find un, for me unusual because I didn't grow up that way yeah. is that, okay, so I got you. You were living in a household that spoke almost Spanish, all Spanish, almost. Yeah. I'm going to say almost because I'm sure you have a cousin or two that would show up and speak to you in English. 
you had English happening in your environment. Uh huh. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like you did have both languages happening. Maybe not as much as other people, but you. It's not like it's not like English was just completely obsolete from your home. In your family, there are bilinguals. But then you go to a school, and I know I'm sure that in your school you had bilinguals. Yeah. And on top of that, you had English being taught. Yeah. So it was bilingual. That in 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 my school it was only English. There was no Spanish. It was only English. So mm-hmm. so it was very clear. School was English. Even if there were Spanish people, they spoke English. Mm-hmm. Nobody spoke Spanish to each other. And then home, I spoke Spanish to my family. Yeah. So it was very a very distinct separation. I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I'm just saying. I'm trying to understand, and your your situation was unique for me. Be, for me, I see it as unique because you had the opportunity in your school to have two languages kind of like intermixed. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like if I grew up in in Miami mm-hmm. or in the South, I probably would have seen more of a mix. Right. Because I would have had teachers that were Spanish speaking Spanish. I would have had students that were more bilingual, comfortable to speak in Spanish. Yeah. I think I think uh, once I got to junior high school is when I started to actually meet. Spanish kids bilingual. in my school, kids that actually spoke Spanish, mm-hmm. and we would speak Spanish to each other almost like a ha ha ha. We're Spanish. Yeah. Like oh look at us, we're Spanish. Like we can speak Spanish to each other. We under- we understand. Yeah. What we're saying. And yeah, th- I and mean that was already that was already junior high school. You're right because um, yeah, in school I did had students and I did had like classmates that they knew perfect English. And saying perfect Spanish. Did they, or maybe I'm misunderstanding. Did they practice English? Did they actually use it? But they used to practice English because they had more family. Let's say if, uh, my best friend Kayla. She had family members that were part of the military. So her cousins used to go to a military school where it was fully bilingual. Even more bilingual because I think almost all the classes were in English gotcha. in Puerto Rico. And then they would go home to speak Spanish slash English. That's unique. So that's why Kayla, for example, she was fully bilingual since she was little. And that's why also she communicated with her cousins in English in Puerto Rico, hmm. but also in Spanish. Um, so there were cases like that. Like, yeah, of course, I can see that in my case, it wasn't that it was just Spanish, you know. Maybe, but maybe, but, um, maybe you did see it that way. That, that's but in thing. my maybe, case, maybe you you associated in a certain way that you blocked out other things. Because I saw my other friends, like my other friend Natalie, for example. So her brother was almost fully bilingual by the age of twelve. Older sister also very into English. They had they had um, cable TV, but I didn't. So I thought that because I was not that into English TV because right. I couldn't have it, I couldn't see it. Right. That I wasn't connecting enough with the English language to in be, the same way like that, that they yeah. were yeah. connecting. Yeah. I got you. And that they even had an accent in English yeah. and they would speak with some words. And then um, when I was uh, when I started to grow up. Uh, I started to try to follow some TV shows to try to see what they were talking about. 
and in a way it helped me because I learned more English and I learned to understand it to listening to it um, and making more sense of it but I feel that's why I was feeling like but I don't really know English Okay. Um, even though you do know, because I I did know I was learning English since I was in in kindergarten. But I I, I really find it interesting that how we both your story and my story how we mm -hmm. ended up becoming bilingual. Now that yeah. you describe these this compound coordinate yeah, yeah, and, all, and, and subordinate ways of being or categories for being bilingual, mm -hmm. um, it's. If you try to trace it back, it's almost like tracing your identity. Ancestry. Like tracing, yeah, tracing your your DNA. Yeah. How did I become who I am? Yeah. And, and it's something that you, growing up, you don't think about it. You just you are who you are. You speak what you speak. If you need water, you say agua, or you say water. Whoever understands me will figure it out. Mm -hmm. If they didn't understand me in one language, you'll switch it to the other language until somebody responds. Yeah. So I guess to analyze it is a little strange. I guess it's a, the identity. Once you identify with the language, mm -hmm. and which languages you identify with, that's what happens. That's mm -hmm. what brings it to life, right? Like I really, I really never thought I was going to be speaking English the way I'm speaking English today. I always thought I was going to be stuck speaking English just for presentations, not even understanding it, having trouble reading it, because it's, it's tough when you're reading a second language um, to, to make sense of the sentences, to read fast, to have at least a good accent that people can understand you. Yeah. And I never, I really, until I moved here, and I don't know, I know, I know that it's because I practiced and because I've been talking and communicating a lot with a lot of people, but I really never thought, like, this. for me, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't even know how I have this accent, <laughs> <laughs> how I know so much now. I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? You're doing really great. Um, all right. I mean, so another interesting thing and something that we found out when discussing this stuff is um, that... The majority of the world is bilingual. Yeah. That is that is a, a really funny fact mm -hmm. that should smack the Americans in the face. In the face. When you know a second language, you're part of the majority, not of the minority. Yeah. The majority of the world is bilingual. Yes. Um, the majority of the countries encourage bilingualism or just naturally are bilingual because of trade or whatever mm -hmm. or borders or whatever mm -hmm. that they have whatever cultural mixing is happening yeah um in europe is um it's very advertised yeah. like people in in schools is part of the curriculum and you really have to learn a second language so so to be to be only knowledgeable of one language is is really uncommon and actually is kind of like blinding yourself exactly um mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that when we're growing up here we we are we're made to feel weird for being bilingual yeah or just just because the lingua franca is, is english, english exactly doesn't mean that you don't need to learn another language in order for you to really connect to other cultures and other people um i feel like it's also a form of respect yeah for you to show I care about what you what you're saying and I want to get to know more of what you're saying yeah I mean even if you learn it through music yeah you know just just 
appreciating other types of music. Mm -hmm. if, I, I, I love Brazilian music. Mm -hmm. I don't speak Portuguese. Yeah. But I'll listen to the words and I'll like try to make sense out of the words because I'm like, yo, this sounds kind of good. Mm -hmm. uh, Italian always sounds good to me. French. If I watch a French movie, I'm yeah. totally into it. I yeah. don't know the words, but I'm totally into it. I'm yeah. like, yep, I'm completely absorbed in it. Um, and like my, my Haitian people, you know, yeah. they're speaking, the, you know, they're, they're French. And, and I'm like, I'm into the words. Yeah. Try to follow along. All right, guys. Y'all... Be open-minded. Yeah. Learn a second language. <laughs>
Okay, yeah, I forgot. So I have to look it up. So what's marble? It's marmol. Ma- I had it on my hand. Marmol? Marmol. It's marble. Marble. It's Mar- the, the white material yeah, that yeah, you yeah. make. Yeah, marmol. How do you spell it? M-A-R-M-O-L. Marmol. Marmol. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Good job, Carla. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Google Translate. Qué horrible. That's the worst, really. Um, I'm going to go for a stretch here, but like, so we were talking about oil paint. Uh-huh. In, in oil painting, uh, I was thinking about the colors. I was thinking about sepia and olive, right? The okay. color olive. Uh-huh. How do you say olive in Spanish? Oliva. Oliva. But how do you say olive the vegetable? Aceituna. Aceituna. That one always throws me off. Okay. Pero es, so, it's weird because olive, es aceituna, right? El color de aceituna is olive. Yeah, but then for aceituna. oil, for oil, decimos aceite de oliva. No se dice aceite de aceituna. Se dice aceite de oliva. But then, if so, you want to say like a like that green type of color, yeah, is it will be oliva. Ol, oliva o, o uh, color aceituna. <laughs> Pero el aceite de oliva. <laughs> if you look up olive, I'm pretty sure that it's gonna say oliva. He's gonna look it up right now because he doesn't believe what I'm saying. But it's true for reals. Because you're a you're a compound. Because the vegetable. Because you're a compound coordinate, Carla. Exactly. Because no, <laughs> subordinate. Olive, olive is aceituna. Yeah. Pero entonces cuando decimos cuando, when we're talking about the oil, olive oil, decimos aceite de oliva. Yeah. Bueno, interesting. Very interesting. All right, Carla. That's it. That's all I have for you. Oh, okay. Nice. Thank I, you. I hope you practice your Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, and another one in the bag, Carla. Yeah. Next episode is going to be episode 43. Yes. We're going to keep this a mystery. Yes, let's keep it a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I like mysteries. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about mysteries. I don't no, know. Actually, next episode, we're going to do a little musical stuff. Um, we're going to have uh, you playing, you singing while my, with my father playing. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Music. Hopefully, we can get a little interview with him. Yeah. And have him on the episode. Um, my father plays guitar, he sings, Carla's gonna sing, and. It's gonna be sweet. It's gonna be a musical episode. Yes. 